me invite you to turn to James chapter 1, James chapter 1, and also uh, there's a, a half-sheet handout for this session. If you did not receive one of those and would like one, if you just put your hand up, uh, they will, my lovely assistant will uh, bring that to you. And just, uh, you can actually, I'm right on the back of that for most of the message. We'll come to that toward the end of it, actually. It's going to be a little bit application at the end. All right, so we've looked at why confidence in and reverence for God. That's why we should pursue purity. So what is the purity that we should pursue? It's God's will for us, our sanctification, no sexual immorality, no sensuality that is living, controlled by lustful passions, and no uh, self-ish, self-orientation with regard to this that is that's transgressing and defrauding, that is crossing boundaries that God has established and taking what does not belong to us, right? In First uh, Corinthians seven is clear that there is a kind of reciprocal relationship in marriage. The body of the husband belongs to the wife, and the body of the wife belongs to the husband. That's what the, the text says. So, so inside of marriage, you are not taking something which does not belong to you. Outside of marriage, you are taking something which does not belong to you. That is, you're defrauding somebody. By, by taking something that is not yours. So we should aspire to live up to the standard that God has established for us. And God gives us his word, like John says in 1 John. He wrote these things, 1 John 2, 1, that you might not sin. All right? So God's desire for us is not to disobey his will. But if we sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. So the aim is that we would not disobey God, but there is also provision for us when we disobey God, so we should, we should respond appropriately. In this session, what I'd like to do is look at what James has to say here about the root of the problem, so that when we move to the how question, we're actually dealing with it the way that God says we, sh- we should deal with it. Obviously, in all of these, we could say more than I've said. Although that last session, you might think, I don't know if he could say any more because it went so long. Uh, But there is more to be said. Uh, And like in the how, there's more to be said. But I want to get to what I consider to be one of the root issues that's very important for us as, uh, as men battling with any sin, but particularly with this this kind of sin. Look at James chapter 1. I want to read verses 1 through 12. James 1, verses 1 through 12. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, for once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. Then when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. 
Every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. In the exercise of His will, He brought us forth by the word of truth so that we would be a kind of first fruits among His creatures. All right, so so when we when we talk about how we fight the battle with this, we need to make sure that our model is correct. Right? And that's one of the things that's really important. If we don't have the right model for our problem, then we'll come up with wrong solutions. Or if I shift the metaphor, if we don't diagnose the disease correctly, our prescription will be inaccurate. So what we need is God's diagnosis of the problem. It's God's model for understanding why we sin in these areas, and therefore we can get to the heart of it the way God wants us to. So let's, let's look at what the root problem is of impurity or, or sexual sin or any kind of sin. Verse 13 starts by identifying a false root. Right? And that's what James is going after. He says, let no one say when he is tempted. All right? So this is not the answer, brothers. Right? You can't say when you face temptation that it is coming from God. And the two reasons he gives us is because that would be contrary to the character of God. God cannot be tempted by evil. Right? What's the point of him saying you're not being tempted by God because God can't be tempted by evil. The point is that for God to engage in the temptation would take some kind of delight in sin. Right? If you're enticing somebody to sin, it's because you're taking some pleasure in that sin, and God takes no pleasure in evil. Right? So if you're going to say, well, God's the cause of this, you're actually going to be saying God actually takes some pleasure in this. And James says God cannot be tempted with evil. Right? He does not look at evil in that way. But then he comes out really clearly and says he himself does not tempt anyone. And so God is never enticing someone to sin. He's not drawing out of people an illicit, an illicit desire. Right, and I want, I'm just going to take a moment on this because obviously this, you know, this is like deep, deep stuff we start to walk through. Right, God is in control of everything. Right, he, he is, uh, he is working out all things according to the counsel of His will. Ephesians one says. Right, God, God is providentially in control of all of our circumstances, and so some people say. Well, it, you know, it's, it's God. In fact, some people started doing that all the way back in Genesis chapter 3. Right? The woman. Adam says the woman. <laughs> the woman says the serpent. Right? Immediately they wanted to dislocate the problem from inside to outside. They wanted to blame it on their circumstance blame it on the providential setting of it. And the thing that we have to understand is the moment we push it outside of ourselves into our circumstances or our context, you know whose foot we're laying the blame at? God. Right? It's the woman you gave me. It's the serpent you made. 
Lord, it's, it's the pressure that I'm in. Right? If I didn't have so much pressure on me, I wouldn't be looking for this escape. Or if you gave me a wife who was more responsive. Or if you gave me a wife. Right? Or if I hadn't been brought up in this kind of a home, or I hadn't been exposed to this kind of filth, or I hadn't had this thing done to me. Right? As we we want to push the responsibility outside. And what James is helping us see is that the minute we do that, we're actually saying, it's your fault. It's your fault I'm like this. It's your fault I do this. It's your fault this happened. And, and James is very clear. No, that's not what God's like. He cannot be tempted with evil. And that's not what God does. He does not tempt anyone. Right, so you can't you can't push the problem outside of yourself because you push it to God's feet at that point, and that's not true. Okay, that's that's not true. It's contrary to the character of God, and it's contrary to the conduct of God. So, where is the real culprit? That's what verse fourteen answers. In verse fourteen gives us a universal reality here. Each one is tempted. Right? Each one. So James is going, listen, here, here's, here's the way it works. <laughs> Across the board, each one. It's us. It's in us. It's our problem. And there's a personal responsibility. Look at the language of the text again. Each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. Right? So, so if you surrender to sexual sin, because that's we're in a conference on purity, if you if you uh, give in to impurity, it is not actually, the source of the problem is not rooted outside of you. It's actually inside of you. You are doing something by your own lust. Right? And, and, and that's really important. Because until we come to grips with that, we won't get to the remedy that God has for us. Right, as long as we are still blaming it on Eve or blaming it on the serpent, we won't be actually put in the position of of confessing and acknowledging the reality of our life. Look at look at what happens when when sin moves forward then in the text, right? The, each one is tempted when he's carried away and enticed by his own lust. Then when lust is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. So there's a, a downward spiral that happens. Right? There is temptation, and, and that temptation is responded to by lust or desire which leads out to sin or disobedience, which culminates in death. All right? So, um, this is where uh, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of like going to keep alternating between preacher-teacher mode here, all right? Because they're not 
totally separated from each other. But here's the way we need to think about this, all right? So, so here's the external stimuli, the trigger of temptation, all right? So it, it clearly that can be outside of you, right? The tree was outside of Adam and Eve. The fruit was outside of them. All right, Samson saw the woman of the Philistines. David saw Bathsheba. There, there are circumstances that are outside of us that become the trigger. But here's what this text says: if it actually, if it actually begins to move towards sin, it's not because of the outside; it's because of the inside. You're drawn away of your own lost and enticed. The language that James uses is hunting and fishing kind of language, right? You. You, you know, you, if you've got a bait pile to draw in the deer or you've got, you know, some kind of lure on your hook to get the fish, right? You're drawn away, you're enticed, right? And, and so the thing that we have to recognize is that between, if I could put it this way, the, the circumstance or context or trigger and the step of disobedience, there's always a gap. And inside of that gap is personal responsibility. Right? And, and, and what, we have, what, we, uh, what can happen, and, and we'll come back to this toward the end, is that sometimes when it has become a sinful habit, we can, we can be so, so uh, enslaved to our sinful choice that it seems as if we've we've eliminated the gap, right? We we want to say I can't control myself, right? I mean, I'll, I'll pull it out of the the area that this conference is about, but but people who who talk about their anger, well, that guy just he hit my button and he hit my button and it's all you know it just happens. I mean, I just blow up. I can't control myself, right? And or whatever it is, and and what's happened is we 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 by force of habit, if I can use biblical language, right? Uh, Peter talks about people who have become trained in greed. It's the same word that's used of train yourself for godliness. You come habitual response. I mean, immediate, almost without second thought. Right, and there's a lot. I mean, we know that's how life works for us. We, uh, you know, we uh, the first time we do something, we struggle to do it. I can remember the first time trying to tie a tie. You know, it's like, and I got to the point where I could tie it while I'm driving down the freeway, right? Or shaving. You know, you're being like ultimate careful, and now it's like you, you can be doing it while you're thinking through 45 other things because you've trained yourself. I grew up playing hockey. One of the things we trained ourselves for hockey was fighting, right? I mean, it was supposed to be if you're going to have to if you're going to have to think through your next move, you're done. You know, you you just boom, you just drop right into it. I remember one time I, I played up to junior A, so I was drafted by the Junior Red Wings, and and uh, a part of my essential training for for that level. Because uh, back then we didn't wear masks or anything. It was I bought a fifty-pound heavy bag and had a speed bag in my garage, and so you know you're working out. Because I knew I was going in as a seventeen-year-old into a division that was seventeen to twenty-year-olds, and so the guys were still around like the third year. 
are going to come after all the rookies in training camp. That's just the way it's going to be, right? And the, the way you stop that is you show them that that's not a good idea, right? So, so you know, you're working, uh, and, and, and so it just gets second. I remember we were playing one time. This guy jumps me from behind, and, and uh, I mean, I, don't, I honestly don't remember, but other than the next thing, he's in front of me, and I'm just... <laughs> Because my, some of you guys remember the Broad Street Bullies, Phillies? Dave Schultz. Anybody remember Dave Schultz? Dave the Hammer Schultz? I, he was my, uh, that's like, he grabbed a guy by the front of the jersey and then, I mean, it was just, and, and basically that's, I just trained. I mean, that was like instinctive response. I mean, this guy, I feel this guy on my back and without having to go, what do I do now? It was like he was around in front of me, boom, 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 boom. Right? No conscious, what seems like no conscious thought. Because you've trained yourself. That's what the martial arts are. Right? You're training yourself to do movements instinctively. That's what a lot of military training is. That, that's part of the blessing of how God's made us so that we don't get up every day having to think through everything we do like it's the very first time we've done it. But here's where sin has taken advantage of that. You have also trained yourself in sinful responses. And so it almost becomes second nature, and then you start to think, it just happens. I mean, it just I don't know what happens. It just happens. I mean, there's nothing I can do about it. it. just It's like I can't control it. It just happens. Right? It's just, this is just the way it works. Here's what I'm telling you. Okay, that gap may seem like it's not there, but here's the word of the living God. It's there. Right? You are still making a choice to get carried away by your lust. You you need to realize that that if you think that you do not have any God-given ability to wrestle with this, the reason you're saying that is because you don't want the responsibility. You want to say, it's Eve's fault, or it's the serpent's fault, or it's Bathsheba's fault, or it's my internet browser's fault, or it's that scantily clad lady's fault. Or it's, and I'm not saying there isn't some responsibility on the other side of the equation, but we're not talking about them. We're talking about us. Right? I have to come to grips with that if I am tempted that leads to sin, it's because I'm drawn away and enticed by my own lust. I desire something, and that desire gives birth to disobedience and death. I cannot abandon the responsibility to engage in this fight. I can't say, boy, you know, if God hadn't made me, you know, hot-tempered, or if God hadn't made me passionate, or if God had given me whatever. Those are all saying, somehow God is complicit in the evil which I'm doing. And this text is saying, no, that's not the case. You must own the responsibility. Let me just make a quick clarification. There is a difference between encountering temptation and entertaining temptation. Right? And and I think we need to at least recognize that. 
right? So, so you, you know, you turn on, you know, you turn off of one street onto another street and there's a billboard with a scantily clad woman, you've encountered a temptation, right? How you respond to it becomes the question of whether or not you entertain it, right? Whether you fix your eyes on it or fix your mind on it, you think about it, that's the drawn away and enticed process, right? So I have no... I'm not in any way denying that the circumstances around us might produce triggers or stimuli or provocation, but how I respond to it is the key, right? So, so let's take the anger. I mean, that, 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 you know, Bozo in the other car may have cut you off. That's a trigger, Right? You've encountered a point at which are you going to respond in a way that's right and pleasing to God or are you going to let your anger overflow? If you harbor it, nurture it, give place to it, you are entertaining it, and that's where the desire for something contrary to the will of God comes from. Same thing with you, you know, you're, I mean, honestly, it's, uh, the world in which you're gonna you're an encounter, right? You're just watching the ball game, and all of a sudden a commercial comes on. It's like what? Right? So you you didn't choose that commercial, you didn't write that commercial, you didn't want that commercial, but that commercial hit, and at that moment you've encountered it. Are you going to entertain it, right? Or are you going to recognize the danger that's there? and not take the bait, not be enticed, not be drawn away. All right? The circumstances can provide a context for our sin, but they do not produce the cause of our sin. What God's Word is saying is that the cause comes from within. We are responsible, and we need to guard against it. And I think an implication of this is part of what I mentioned last night. The power of temptation is its offer of something we believe to be satisfying. Right? That's why it draws us away and entices us. I mean, and 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 so there's something of sinful satisfaction that's on the other side of that gap that we're reaching toward. And, and, and if we've reached at it again and again and again and again, we've closed that gap down, right? Because we've surrendered and shaped our character, right? That's why, I mean, when it comes to pornography battles, um, it is very common for that to have been a problem that started young and started often as ways of escape Right, where a person can retreat from life pressure or whatever and be able to get selfish pleasure. Right? No obligation toward anybody else. All about me finding relief from uh I mean there's a million kinds of circumstances, but one common one is right, conflict with an authority or some issue that comes up and they retreat to privacy and in the midst of the brooding get tempted toward the pursuit of some distracting pleasure 
which comes completely under their control and authority. Right? And that becomes a habitual practice so that now it is almost, almost, almost seems involuntary. But this text is saying it is always voluntary. We're drawn away of our own lust and enticed. And that battle rages through the teen years. They get a little older, get married, get things going. And, and the problem seems to have gone away. And all of a sudden, pressure at work, pressure in marriage, pressure with everything. And all of a sudden, they revert back to the pattern of personal satisfaction, pursuit of pleasure to distract from problems and difficulties, and it starts to take hold in life again. Right? Because it's inherently selfish, and it is usually a replacement of some... So it's some pleasure to get, right? It's something. I mean, even every sin is tied to us exalting our desires in such a way that we think it will satisfy us. Leaves us empty-handed and dissatisfied for the long run, but it draws us back again and again and again. Right? That's what's going on here, and we need to realize that. And so, again, just sort of side trail. You're probably wondering where the real trail is because I'm doing all these side trails here. But side trail on this. All right, common ways, uh, I mean, you'll, even, even among Christians, right? But pop psychology, because it does not accept the inherent depravity of humans, is looking for ways to explain why we malfunction. Right? If you start with the premise that people are basically good and something went wrong with them, you're looking for what went wrong with them. And, and so you come up with various, uh, various, if I could just sort of put in a big bucket, sort of need theories. There's some need that they have that's not being satisfied. If you satisfy that need, then they won't do the thing that's wrong. So essentially, you're, you're okay but something's not meeting your needs. That's why. Right, but think about it. That's actually a way of getting back to the thing James is saying is not the case. Right? I mean, because God would be in control of your circumstances and situation, and if you're somehow in a deficit, and that's the only reason you're sinning, then who created your deficit? Right? But even deeper than that, what deficit did Adam have? I mean, what did he need that he didn't have? And yet he chose sin. And, and what about Jesus? <laughs> Can you think about somebody who, in terms of his human circumstances, faced enormous deficit? Right? I mean, his love cup by the people around him was certainly not being filled up. Right? He, he actually was facing contradiction of sinners against himself. So, so why didn't he sin? Well, it's because sin comes from within, not from outside. And, and he was not going to turn away from his father. He wasn't going to yield to circumstances. 
Adam did the exact opposite. He actually wasn't satisfied with what God had provided for him and wanted the thing that God hadn't provided for him. Right? And that's where you and I are. I mean, that, that when we choose to sin, it's because we're not satisfied with what God has given to us. We, we want something else. We want something different. We want something more. So what we have to do is come to grips with the fact that that's the problem. Right? We've got to make certain that we are dealing with the heart issue, the, the thought process about this. And that starts with accepting responsibility. And it's important for us then to look at what the text tells us about how we, we deal with that. All right, So go back up to verse 12. I didn't read, or we read it, but we haven't looked at that because it's sort of the entry that sets it up because 12 is a transition. I mean, it's actually not, a, it is, it's like a, it's like a, a, a truth that sits between two mountains of problems, trials before it, and then temptations after it. And the thing that we might lose in the English language is that it's actually the same word, right? That, that you actually can have a trial come which if we respond to it incorrectly, can be a temptation that we yield to. So 12 is the answer both for trials and temptations. And notice what the scriptures say. Blessed is a man who perseveres under trial or under test or temptation. For once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised those who love him. All right, so... Uh, let me let me say it this way. You need to understand the basic requirement in this fight, and it's in that word "perseveres" or "endures." All right, and and hopefully, hopefully, you're hearing. And this is one of the disadvantages of being like an outsider speaker who shows up. Right, I I've pastored at Intercity for thirty almost thirty four years, so they've got lots of my teaching to understand the context of what I'm going to say, and I can't I can't backload all of that, but but you've got a couple messages where I've talked about we're right with God on the basis of grace through faith in Christ alone. All right, so we, we need to have that as the foundation. But here's the point that James is making. When you encounter something that might be a trigger for sinful lust, here's, and this, we don't like the simplicity of the answer, but here's the answer. You endure. Right? You, you persevere. You don't give in to the impulse. You don't, you don't just go with the flow. You actually endure against the circumstance. You, you persevere rather than surrender or cave or, or commit to it. Right? I mean, I guess to put it in sort of semi, almost cliche ish, you say no. One more time. And you keep saying no. Right? And, and I, here's the deal is we don't like that kind of an answer. You know what we want? Give me four magic tricks. Give me the secret formula, right? Give me the, give me the prayer I can pray that will chase the devil away. Right? We, we always want some secret. 
We want some tactic, some trick we can play that will, will work. And James goes, no, blessed is the man who perseveres, who endures, right? That, that doesn't surrender to the pressure and temptation that may come from outside, they endure, right? And, and we shouldn't be surprised really by an answer like that because that's a part of what God is working in us. I mean, that's what trials are doing. Why do we count it all joy when trials come? Because when they've had their work, look at what verse, look, look at verse two and three. Right? Consider all joy, brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. Let endurance have its perfect result, so that you will be you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. In Romans chapter five, Paul says, We glory or exult in our tribulations. Why? Knowing that the tribulations produce endurance and endurance proven character and proven character hope. Right? So, so God wants to build into our lives the fabric of strength that can endure. And, and that really is the basic requirement. Right? It is to resist the devil because you've submitted to God and he will flee from you. Right? And, and, and you know what? I mean, that's not going to have that. That book's not going to have a whole lot of chapters, and it's not going to make the Christian bestseller list, right? If I'd said to conference, "Hey, come to the conference, and I'll tell you the secret to fighting temptation," I'll give you a heads up. It's endure, right? People are going to go, "No, nah, I want something more. Give me some. Give me some secret." There's got to be some kind of spiritual jujitsu I can work on this thing that, you know, when the temptation comes, I can roll it and I'm out. Right? That's, that's what we want, but we want that partly because we actually are prone to crave easy solutions to satisfy. Right? We don't actually want to think about what God has said in this, and we have to recognize that. Right? So, so that begs the question, right? So, so, yeah, great, you told me that. So how do I do that? How do I persevere? How do I endure? Well, I think that's the rest of the text is telling us, right? One part of it is by focusing on the final outcome. Right? Notice the language of the text in verse 12. For once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised. Right? So, and that promise is why I'm saying focus. Because here's the deal, I'm you know I'm let's say I'm, I'm cruising along, working, all of a sudden out of the blue, you know something pops up on on my my uh, social media feed, right? I didn't I didn't go looking for it. All of a sudden this is there. I mean, or or like my you know I had a friend, a pastor friend who's a man in his church. The salesman was coming back from uh, something with a female coworker, which let's just not debate that right now. But she said she needed to go by her her apartment, so you know went by the apartment. He's sitting in the car. She doesn't come out. Doesn't come out. Doesn't come out. He finally goes, knocks on the door. She opens the door completely unclothed. 
right? Trying to solicit him into immoral action. I mean, you, you didn't seek it. You didn't think about it. Just like, you know, here it is. Right? So, so they, it can happen. I mean, just out of nowhere, the devil can attack. Right? Sometimes it's not so much out of nowhere because we like skirt around, you know, dance around the edges and set ourselves up. And also it seems like it, but we've been, we've been basically making the day. But bottom line is it shows up. And when it shows up, here's what's going, right? Remember the power of temptation is its promise to me of something. And here's what James is saying. You persevere by actually shifting your attention to the approval of God that comes with the crown of life that God has promised. Right? So my ability to say no to that is because I'm saying yes to something superior. Right? You persevere. The text is very clear. Right? Look at the language of the text. That, that blessed is a man who perseveres under trial for once he has been approved. So the blessing that you're going to take and prioritize and treat as most valuable is the approval of God, the crown of life that God's promised to you. All right? and, and again, uh, I think there's, that's, that's the, uh, the statement of the truth, but, but think of the book of Hebrews. Right? How did Moses endure? That's the word used. Right? Moses was born into a world where he was offered the treasures of Egypt and the passing pleasures of sin. But he chose not to take those, but to endure the reproaches of Christ with God's people. Right? Why does Hebrews say that? Because he had respect for the reward and he endured as seeing him who is invisible. All right, can you imagine being born into, not born in, but basically, you know, like, like basketed into a home, right? Where you are raised as the child of the most wealthy man in that region of the world with all the access that that would give you, all of the things that are there, the treasures of Egypt and the passing pleasures of sin, all in the face of Moses, right? And Moses rejected them because the promise that those things offered to him were precisely passing pleasures of sin. Treasures that would decay or be taken away. But, right, the reward that comes from God cannot be taken away. And instead of the people he could see, he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Right, he understood that. And you know, Hebrews says it's by what? By faith. Look at the word in one twelve promises. God promises. Right? So here's the thing. is you sometimes, sometimes people hear endurance, perseverance, and they think it's works. No, genuine biblical perseverance is by faith. You believe the promises of God. And so you go, yeah, you're offering me something, but what you're offering me is 
is nothing compared to what God has promised to me. The inheritance that is mine in Christ. I, I'm going to cling to Christ. I'm going to, I'm going to hold fast to Him. I'm not going to be lured away. I'm not going to be drawn away by the shallow and short-lived promises of sexual gratification outside of God's boundary. Yeah, it may bring a rush. It may bring some immediate pleasure, but it's a passing pleasure of sin that leaves me empty and feeling guilty. I'm going to trust God that everything that I need is in Christ. And one day I'll see Christ, and I want to see Christ with that kind of heart that can worship Him and, and glory in my Redeemer. Right? It's, it's, it's perseverance empowered by God's promises. It is by faith. And that's the way it always works. When Paul says, train yourself for godliness, what does he immediately say about that? You familiar with that text in 1 Timothy 4? Right? For bodily exercise profiteth little. That's my life verse right there. No, nah, just kidding. All right? For bodily exercise profiteth little. Right, but godliness has promise both for this life and the one to come. Right? You may, he immediately moves the power of training yourself for godliness is the promises of God. The next verse says, For this reason we labor and strive because we have set our hope on God. Right? So, so sometimes we like to make this, this seem like, well, if you're talking about toughing it out, endurance, perseverance, you're just getting man-centered and you're focused on, on human effort. And I'm like, no. It's because I believe God. I trust His promises. And God says, godliness has benefit now and eternally. And I believe God. That's why I obey God. I trust Him. It's obedience empowered by faith. It's not obedience earned at righteousness. It's not obedience earned on on anything. It's a, a response of belief that God is faithful. He keeps his promises. And if he says that it will be worth it all, I believe him that it is worth it all. This light affliction, which is but a moment, works a far more exceeding internal weight of glory. And it's that confidence in God is what renews us in the inner person. Right? Our outer person might be perishing, but our inner man is being renewed because we don't look at the things which are seen, but the things which are unseen. We're living by faith. That's the power of perseverance. Right? We don't persevere to have faith. We persevere because of faith. If we really understood the promises of God, then we will say that is like a trinket from the dime store. It's going to break and it's going to disappoint me. I'm not going to yield to that. I'm going to trust God that he has something better for me and I'm going to persevere. And that faith is actually wrapped to, look at the last part of verse 12. The last part of verse 12 says, to those who love him to those who love him. So, if you're trying to keep score, 
right? We deal through problem by understanding the basic requirement, perseveres, focusing on the final outcome, approved and crown of life, and by cultivating the right heart, those who love him. All right, so the battle with sin is a battle of loves. One which is genuine, love for God. The other is a false kind of love described in the text as lust. All right, and, and, and here's, here's the way I think this text is, is building, right? So, so we encounter a circumstance that, that puts us to the test. If, if we respond to that by being drawn away by lust, right? The, the trigger produces lust, which conceives and brings forth sin, which produces death, right? If we don't, we don't do that. It's because we love God. We believe God. So we persevere, right? That love endures because it focuses on the promise of God, the approval of. And I told you a story about that guy. And this isn't the full answer to it, but you know, the guy immediately ran away out to the car and just sat there. After a bit of time, the woman came out to the car and he had in his hand a picture of his wife and his kids. And he put it right in front of her and said, what you were asking me to do was betray this. Right now, I, as a believer, I'm sure his reason would go deeper than that, but obviously speaking to an unbeliever was going, you know why what you wanted me to do was not attractive enough to draw me toward it? is because I have something that I value much more. I value my wife. I value my children. I love them. If I genuinely love them, I'm not going to pursue a lust that destroys that relationship and results in death. All right, that, that's an analog to what I'm saying. When the devil comes up and says, hey, you really need this. I mean, you deserve some satisfaction. Right? You just leave that show on, right? I know, I know you know there's some stuff you shouldn't see, but man, this is, this is like the coolest show right now. Everyone's talking about it, or, or boy, there's a plot line here you want to see. I mean, he's doing all the little tricks to try and get you to go, just, yeah, just chill out a little bit. Take it easy. The answer is no. Because whatever that's offering to me, it doesn't have any value compared to, to what my God has for me. And I love Him. I love my Lord who died for me to rescue me from these things. He was zealous for a people, right? That would say no to ungodliness. He redeemed me from the things that were destroying me. Why would I spend my heart on those things? Why would I say yes to the things that I was formerly ashamed of, right? Would be the way Romans 6 would talk about it. Since the power of temptation is the offer of pleasure, that power is broken when we see through its false promises to God's true promises 
And we persevere because we trust and love Him more than ourselves. Right? We're not going to lean on our own understanding. Well, you know, I, I mean, this isn't going to be that bad. I mean, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm a grown-up. I can handle this. Right? We lean on our own understanding. We're going to actually trust Him and, and treasure what He treasures. Right? That's, that's where it would come. All right, so now, let me ask you to grab that half sheet because I want to walk through this because this is something I've done uh, years ago when I was uh, discipling, counseling with people who, are, who, who go back to my point about the gap, right? They feel like the gap is gone. And you might be, you know, might, might not be a, some kind of impurity or sexual sin or whatever. Maybe, it, you know, maybe it's some other sin that you feel like whenever you're hit with that temptation, there's just almost like an involuntary response. I, I told the hockey story, you know, I, I, uh, I, I decided to turn away from hockey because I'm in the middle of my senior year in high school. Uh, a good friend, he's a pastor in our area now, but he was a teacher in our Christian school. He said, Dave, you, you really need to go away to, I mean, you need to give that stuff up and go away and get an education where you're, you, you'll be taught the word in college because you're going to, before you mess up your life. And, you know, I remember walking away from him thinking he's right. I mean, because I was already starting to make choices that were leaning down a bad path, and, and I thought he's right. So, so I had never been to Bob. You ever heard of Bob Jones University? I'd never been there. I showed up freshman to go to Bob Jones University. They've got a few rules back then. Um, you know, get get uh, surrender my life to the Lord. Start heading toward ministry. They had this system in the dorms where, like, if you're a leader in a room, you were an assistant prayer captain, and if you had three rooms, you're the prayer captain. So, sophomore year, I'm assistant prayer captain. I've got a roommate that is just driving me crazy, right? I put him right over here. He's on this side, right? Just irritating me. And, you know, because of my life uh, growing up playing hockey, like the gap, the gap was pretty narrow. And, 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 and one day he's getting on my nerves and I, all of a sudden I realized I've got my hand, I've got him by the shirt up against the door in the dorm room and I'm ready to deck the guy. And I'm his spiritual leader. And I literally think, you know, if I'm going to be a pastor, this might not be a good thing. Right? I, I realized I had actually developed a pattern that, I mean, honestly, I don't remember, you know, consciously going, what am I going to do about Phil? I think here's what I should do about Phil. I'm going to grab him by the shirt, put him up against the door, and deck him. And I think that'll solve the problem. I wasn't going through that process. It was like, boom, second nature. I mean, I spent a lot of years perfecting that response. Right? And, and here's what I'm saying to you. So at the time, I would have thought, man, I, 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 can't, I just can't help myself. I mean, that's, just, that's, just the way, that's just the way I am. Right? That's just, that's just me. People are going to have to live with it. Right? I, in that kind of a context, you go, no, no, see. Because, you know, I, I've never met anybody yet, and they're not saying they're out there, who says they can't control their temper, who doesn't control it in context that will cost them too much. They can't control their temper about their kids or their wife, but they're, they seem to be pretty much under control with their boss or the police officer. Right? They, they, it's not completely out of their control. Right? They, they're making choices. They're looking at it. 
And you might say, I can't control this urge, or I can't control this. Here's what I'm saying to you. You've got to believe God that there is a gap between the trigger and you entertaining temptation that leads to the sin. And one of the things you have to do is start to deal with that by, by, by deliberately trying to broaden the gap. Right? And that's what this, what this is. How do you tackle the deep habit of sin so that your instant response is not a sinful response? How do you do that? All right, so let me just walk through it real quickly. All right, first thing is you do need to try and make it difficult to sin. Romans 13, 14 says, make no provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust there. And two ways that I encourage people on it, make it difficult environmentally, right? Build in obstacles, remove temptations, right? I've counseled a bunch of guys, you know, problem with pornography is it's access. I mean, I'll just give you one example of what I mean, All right? So, you know, I'm counseling, the guy says, you know, I, uh, like I go in convenience store or grocery, you know, gas station, you walk in and like there they all are at the counter and I find myself getting sucked in. And so I said, here's, here's what you need to do. You need to adopt a policy to pay at the pump. Right? You've got a credit card. You can simply not go into those stores. Right? Now, is that like a works righteousness? No, it's just simply practically going, why would I walk in front of a bunch of naked women? I can put my plastic right up against the card and get it done. Never put myself in that position. I'm staying away from it. Make it difficult. Put obstacles there. Remove temptations, right? If you can't, I mean, you know, the line we use, it's, it's, I think it's good cliche, right? I mean, if you've got a dog and it won't be under control, put it on a leash. If the leash won't stop it, get rid of the dog, right? I mean, you, you, can't, you can't play games. So, so if you can't handle the internet, then find a way to lock it down. Right? I mean, it's not rocket science. It's simply saying we're not to make provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. So, so why would I put myself in a position where temptation is going to be screaming at me? I need to build some high walls. I need to be practically smart about it. Not as, not as anything other than being wise, right? Guard yourself against opportunities, but also difficult emotionally. And here's the thing, I want to say this carefully, but it says there, increase our level of conviction. What I mean by that is stop seeing sin impersonally and start to see it personally, Right? It's, it's really sin against the Lord. And I need to see it that way. I'm making a choice for those pixels over my Savior. Right? I'm making the choice to watch this thing at the cost of my, uh, uh, my conscience being clean before God and an opportunity to enjoy his fellowship. Because, I mean, anybody that knows they've struggled with this thing, right? You don't, like, turn off the junk and go immediately to prayer <laughs> because there's this feeling of strain. So I, I need to stop trying to minimize conviction in that regard 
and allow it to be seen as a choice that's a personal choice, right? Adultery is a sin against your spouse. It's not just like some impersonal thing. And, and throughout the Scriptures, the, the betrayal of God's people against the Lord is described as infidelity, adultery. And we need to, we need to own that so, that so that we're having our resolve strengthened because we love the Lord. I love Him. I don't want to betray Him. I want to be loyal to Him. Right, so so we should we should concentrate on increasing the difficulty instead of having the slope in our life. The second is build up biblical resistance through the Word of God. I mean, where will you keep? How will you keep your way clean? It's through the Word of God. And here's what I'd say: is identify specific truths from the Word related to the area of struggle that you can meditate upon and memorize. You know, one of the things I think we make a mistake is we think. We think the Bible is like a charm or a talisman, right? I Meaning the devil comes to attack me, I just throw a couple Bible verses at him and he'll run away. That's not how it works. That's not how Jesus... You remember Matthew gives us a great example, right? First temptation, he's hungry, turn these stones into bread. What does Jesus say? Man shall not live by bread alone, but everything that proceeds out of the mouth of God. You know what Jesus isn't doing? He's not waving a Bible verse at Satan. He's telling Satan why he won't respond to the temptation. Right? It's, no, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Right? He takes him to the temp, high, high point says, I'll give you all the kingdom of the world, Right? Or he says, toss down, he says, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. No, I'm not going to do that, because I'm supposed to follow God, not force his hand. That's basically the point of it. Yes, you're right, but you're using it out of context. And here's a big window, and if the devil's afraid of the Bible, why did he quote it to Jesus? Right, So if you just think pulling out a Bible verse is going to chase the devil away, you're making a serious mistake because he actually quotes the Bible to Jesus. It's not like a magic wand. It's not like you know some, some garlic to keep away the werewolves or whatever. Right? It's the reason why we won't yield to the temptation. No, I'm not going to put the Lord to the test. Bow down and worship me and I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world. No, you can worship and serve only the Lord God. Right? So what I'm saying is, is if you've got a battle with some area, you build resistance by targeting on what the Bible says about that area. Right? So, so like in this particular context, right, all of a sudden you find yourself in a context and there's women inappropriately dressed. It might be something like, uh, I made a covenant with my eyes not to look upon a young maiden. Hey, Lord, I, I can't look that way, right? Or it might be, don't desire her beauty in your heart, like Proverbs talks about, right? So I remind myself of the Word of God as the reason why I need to do something different here. 
right? The word becomes the, the point of focus for me to tell me. And internalizing the word of God allows the spirit of God to transform our minds, like Romans 2, 12 talks about too, provides the sword of the spirit to combat, combat Satan and temptation and in, increases the potential for the spirit's control of our lives, right? Because I'm sure you agree with, I hope you agree with me. I'm pretty sure you do. The Holy Spirit is not going to remind you of a Bible verse of which you are completely unfamiliar. That's what we would call revelation, right? So if you don't know the Word, the Spirit is not going to put it in your mind. It's the Word we've hidden our heart that the Spirit of God will use to prompt conviction, promote direction, right? He's using the Word that we've hidden our heart to direct our lives. So what should we be doing in order to make it a, a, a point of resistance? Well, I need to be hiding in my heart. I need to be focusing on what the truth of God is because that's what fills my heart with faith. Third, deal with sin quickly and correctly, right? The chain, break the chain of sin at the earliest moment possible by yielding to the conviction of the Spirit. Because if you are a believer, the Spirit of God dwells in you and He will be fighting against the flesh. Right? You're not left on your own. The Spirit will resist the flesh. The problem is, is when we've established a sinful pattern and habit is that sometimes we don't become aware of, in the way that we should, the convicting work of the Spirit until sometimes after we've sinned. Right? We, we get tempted and we're drawn away of our lust and we, we sin against God and all of a sudden, boom, the crash of conviction comes in. All right, so here's what I'd say. The minute that comes in, here's God's remedy for you. Confess your sin. He's faithful and just. Right? Because you know what the devil wants you to do is, oh, you blew it. You just you know, lay down here for a while. Right? And particularly people who have had long struggles with sin is they, they fall and then they, they actually start to surrender to it rather than run to the cross, run to Christ. If you sin, you have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, who's the propitiation for our sins. Right? God has a remedy for you, and it's not some kind of misguided penance. I've got to feel bad about myself for so long, or I've got to do some, you know, something to sort of compensate for it. That's not biblical theology. That's works theology. The answer is to look to the one who is the advocate. Turn to Christ and God's faithful, that's his character, and just to forgive us and to cleanse us. So if it's after you've sinned, run to Christ. Right? But what you want to be doing is asking God to help you become more and more aware. So it might be like just, I mean, you're actually, you've cranked up the computer, started to type in the, you know, the, the search engine, and you go, I can't do this. You know what? Right there. Stop. Acknowledge it before God and thank Him for His work of sanctification in your life. Rejoice in the fact that He's at work in you for wanting to work in His good pleasure. And, and by God's grace, the work of God will start to widen the gap and move it back so that now it's the, the thought of sin becomes no. 
right? That's, that's what you're after. But the only way that's going to happen is if you deal with it quickly and correctly. You, you answer the work of God in the way it should. So, so you confess it to God and if need be appropriate parties. That is, if you've sinned against somebody else, then you, you need to deal with that as well. The fourth I would put on there is establish an appropriate level of accountability because perseverance is a community project. God gave us the assembly of his people so we could exhort one another daily lest any of us be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. So encourage one another, provoke one another to love and good works. Sin deceives and hardens. So sometimes we need help seeing and we need help feeling, right? If sin hardens, I'm, I'm using two hockey illustrations, but when I was, you know, when I grew up, we, we I mean, you basically work, and one of the things I'd do is uh, I had a five-pound hockey puck, metal that we'd stick handle in the driveway because that's building up the muscles in, in your arms so for shooting. But, you know, wooden stick back at that point it was wood. Now they're all doing the, the other stuff. But, but, man, my hands would get calloused up. Or I still actually still have rem- remnants of them. And basically what's happening is it's making that skin impervious to pain. Right? It's, it's so it doesn't hurt. It's become callous. That's the illustration that God says can happen. Warn us about our conscience, right? That we can become hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. And sometimes because we've tolerated sin a long time, uh, we're not as sensitive to it as we ought to be. And we need brothers to come along and say, hey, can I, can I, can I just challenge you about something? it seems to me like you're maybe being a little careless about this issue of purity or you're, you're leaving some, some points of temptation open that you need to think about. And, and they can encourage you and exhort you because they want to help you grow. Accountability isn't so someone can be your priest and you can tell them how you failed. And that's unfortunately the way a lot of accountability is. I messed up and I need to tell somebody, here's how I failed. No, it's actually to help you grow. It's to help you defeat sin by God's grace. It's to get encouragement and help, right? So if you find yourself feeling the pull of it, you have someone you can go, hey, can you pray for me? Help me, you know, give me some, give me some exhortation, right? Let's stand together in the battle. Let's fight the fight as God intended us to be, as brothers in arms, so to speak, against our common enemy of our soul. And if, and if that's needed, right, you need to pursue that. And that fourth one, honestly, I've added, I mean, probably 20 years after I did this, because here's what I would just say to you. If, you're, if you are not actually willing to do whatever it takes to break the pattern of sin, right? Then, then, then there's a problem. And, I, and I'll just, I, I, I'll say it this way, right? So, so some, I don't think, I don't deny that someone would feel guilty about it, right? I mean, they, you know, let's say, let's say a guy's, uh, feels like he's enslaved to pornography and he really wants to do it and he, he gives in and then he's really broken and he cries out to God, confesses it, and then goes on. But then 
you know, a few months later, he's back, or a year later, he's back, right? He keeps falling back into that. At some point, his self-remedies are not solving the problem. And he's not taking access to God's gift in the congregation of his people. And he's probably not doing that because he doesn't want to humble himself and say, hey, I need help. I need help. And you'll find, you probably know guys who end up with destroyed marriages, blown up their lives, blown up their ministries, because they kept thinking, I'll, I'll figure it out. I'll get it taken care of. I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll do it. And at some point, you need to be willing to say, God has given the resources that I need in his word, in his spirit, and in his people. Right? Because God has placed us into a body for our good. And we need to be willing to yield to the gifts of God for the growth that we need to conquer this sin and and live for the glory of God. So, why should we do it? Because we have confidence in and reverence for God. What should we do? We should guard ourselves against immorality, sensuality, and a kind of exploitive selfishness in it. And how do we do that? It's recognizing where the root problem is and responding with it with trust and love to God in the disciplined work of perseverance. Right? It's not going to be an easy fight, but it is a fight that's worth it because of what God has promised to us. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much that we have uh, hope in Christ and, and the confidence that what you have begun, you will continue until the day of Christ. And so help us to respond to what you've done with faith, because we love you, we trust you, we want to live for your honor and glory. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen.